0: team had five guys in it, and they had their uh, artillery piece there that they towed behind the jeep, and they towed it out, and they set it up, and you got the sergeant who was in charge of the artillery team, and then you had the guy who was to shoot the artillery, and you had the guy that was to load the artillery, and you had the guy who was the spotter, right, because you got to know where you're shooting the artillery at, and then you had the guy who stood ten yards behind. And finally, one of the guys looks at the sergeant and he says, sergeant. Why does he uh, stand 10 yards behind? <coughs> Sarge says, well, I don't know. We've always done it that way. It's a good, good question. Point. I'll find out. So the Sarge goes to the lieutenant. The lieutenants know everything. <laughs> That's an army joke. <coughs> he says, Lieutenant, why does guy stand 10 yards behind the cannon? The lieutenant says, I don't know. I'll find out. So he goes to the captain. He says to the captain, he says, why does the guy stand 10 yards off the cannon on the artillery team? The captain says, I don't know. So he says, I'm going to ask the general. So he goes to the general. The general's this old, chrizzled, bright sort of general. And he says, general, why does the guy stand 10 yards behind the artillery team? Now this general was old. He had fought in World War I. He had fought in World War II. And so he, he knew a lot. He looks at the guy and he goes, well, that's obvious. He holds the horses. <laughs> <laughs> that's what rules can be like, right? I mean, why do you have this rule? Well, we've always done it that way. He holds the horses. So like we don't really? use horses anymore. Anyway. <laughs> Hold it with a G. That's not to say we shouldn't have any rules. I mean, for example, imagine driving where there are no rules. Burton, for example, can imagine this. Because has worked in Africa several times. And there are parts of Africa where there are no rules when it comes to driving. But in general, we have rules, right? And I mean, that's good. And in fact, if you think about it, driving is predicated upon the fact that we have all agreed to the social contract that we will basically obey the rules, that I will stay to the right of the other line in the direction that I'm going. Because if you suddenly decide to not obey that rule, one or both of us is probably going to die. Imagine if banks didn't have rules to follow about how they handle our money, and you go and you deposit your paycheck, and you go the next day to withdraw some money, and the bank says, "Oh yeah, well, um, I, I know Orville, you put your money in the bank yesterday, but Ken came in and he he needed he needed he needed 50. and so we gave the money to Ken, and Ken was happy. <laughs> Orville was kind of luck, right?" Well, as we go back into Colossians chapter 2, I know it's been a while since we've been in Colossians because we had Advent and we had all this other stuff and everything. We're going we're gonna to pick up on this idea of rules and relationships and following Jesus. Now, let me give you a quick review Colossians yes. 2, verses 20 through 23, that we're going to look at today, is in the middle of this discussion where Paul is contrasting following Jesus against following worldly philosophies and ideas and rules. And so the first part of that discussion occurs in verses 8 through 19 of chapter 2, where we learned three things. First thing that came out of that was don't be taken captive by worldly philosophies and ideas that run counter to Christ. And so, you know, no laws of attraction, no Eckhart Tolle, none of that kind of nonsense, okay? All these things that run counter to Christ. Secondly, We're told we are not to let anyone judge us by their legalisms. Now, there we're talking about specifically religious ideas or rules that are not part of following Jesus. You know, every flavor and tradition of Christianity, and there are many. Here, you want some new material, Joe? Do you know why Baptists are like Baskin-Robbins? There's 31 flavors, and it changes every Friday. (laughs) Say that. (laughs) Yeah, all <laughs> okay, church I grew up in, right? You know, so no rated R movies, no dancing, no women wearing pants. Church? Oh, that was a one. You want to see some deacons just... <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Finally, the third thing we learned in that first section there was that we're to look only to Jesus himself. He is God in the flesh who provides complete salvation, complete forgiveness from sin, complete victory over the forces of darkness for those who would commit to following Him. He is Himself the narrow and road to eternal life in Himself. Not a bunch of rules. Now we're going to move on to the rest of chapter 2. And I'm going to read it for you here real quickly. So we read the whole passage together. It says starting in verse 20. So in verse 20, Paul is coming back to this idea of human design rules and how they are just basically not useful. And this section is basically Paul telling us that when it comes to living for Jesus, here's what's not going to work. Various legalistic rules might sound wise, but they're actually counterproductive to following Jesus. Back to the first part of chapter 3, then. Paul is actually going to tell us what will help us in following Jesus. So today he's going to tell us what's not helping. Next Sunday he's going to tell you what will help. What should you really do? Because it doesn't do me much good to tell me what won't work if you don't tell me what does work. Right? But you've got to come back next Sunday to hear what does work. Because otherwise you'd be here until 3 in the afternoon. Nobody wants that. I know you all love me, but I know you don't want to be here till 3. <laughs> the first thing we've got to understand is Christ has freed us from worldly rules. Verse 20. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Now remember, one of the early church's biggest issues in that first century was what do we do with not only the Old Testament law, right, all those rules in the Old Testament, but with the huge corpus of rules that the rabbis over many years had built up around the law. There literally were groups of Jews that would show up. They sort of followed Paul at a distance. And they'd show up wherever Paul had gone and wherever Paul had started the church. And they would start teaching people that to follow Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is great. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you also need to follow this particular interpretation of the law and these man-made rules and regulations that go along with the law. And there were a lot of regulations, a lot of rules that really had nothing directly to do with the commands of the law that had been created. And we're going to talk about why in a minute. First, I want to point out that Paul tells us that if we are in Christ, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, if you are seeking to follow Christ, we have died with him. Which means we have died to any form of Old Testament regulation or law or anything associated with that. Right? In Matthew 5.17, Jesus comes and what does he say? He says he came to fulfill the law. Well, that's good. Hebrews 9.15 tells us that he is the mediator of a new covenant. The law is the old covenant. Jesus comes as the mediator of a new covenant, which, according to Hebrews 8.13, replaces the old covenant made at Sinai through Moses. So when Jesus comes, he inaugurates a new covenant that replaces the old covenant that he fulfills so that I don't have to. Paul explains that a step further in saying that I, too, have actually, through Jesus, fulfilled the law. Look what Romans 8, 3 and 4 says. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, so as one of us, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, Where? In us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us when we follow Jesus, because Jesus already fulfilled it for me. I'm free from the law, because Jesus already fulfilled it in his sinless life and his sacrificial death, fulfilling all the requirements of paying for sin. Since I'm united with him, and you are united with him if you put your faith and trust in Christ. You, too, have fulfilled the law. Now, I, I, I really think this is an essential New Testament teaching that gets missed in how people really understand the Old Testament. And it's not saying, because Paul himself would make the case in Romans, okay, I don't, I'm not going to preach the whole book of Romans this morning, but Romans, that the law is not bad. He makes the case the law is not bad. Okay? It's just that for you and me, it's fulfilled in Christ and I'm no longer obligated then to keep any part of the law. It's still useful because there are things about God that I can learn from the law, things about how he sees sin, things about what Jesus had to do to conquer sin and death. In fact, what does Jesus say? You look to the law of the prophets to find salvation and him with in me, right? They all point to him. It's all meant to point to him. Jesus' life and death fulfilled those requirements and now I can go eat as much bacon shrimp as I want. I <laughs> I love you. <them. laughs> so if we're free from the law in letter, we are surely then free, as Paul points out, from any man-made rule on top of the law that are supposed to help us keep the law, or anyone keep the law. So Paul tells the Colossians in verse 20 they need to stop submitting to these regulations. They don't have to follow the law. And as he's about to point out, they do not certainly have to follow any sort of human-created rules regarding the law because legalisms are from humans, not from God. Verses 21 and 22. He's talking about these rules, right, these regulations in there. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Human precepts and teachings. Legalistic rules made up by humans that are supposedly going to somehow help us follow God. Now, you've got to understand how this comes about, okay? You think back to the rabbis and the Pharisees in Jesus' time. Okay, these, these are not generally bad people, okay? I mean, some of them obviously were corrupt and wanted to do away with Jesus. But for the most part, these are people who really, really wanted to follow God really bad. And they really want to help other people follow God, and so you have something in the law that kind of matters, right? Like you're not supposed to. There's a, there's a law that says in the Old Testament you are not to boil a kid to boil the meat of a, goat, a kid, a goat, a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, maybe this was a practice for some places back then, or not. To me, the whole thing sounds disgusting. I would have no problem with the food. But apparently this was an issue. So the rabbis would look at that, and they would say, well, we really want to make sure nobody accidentally does this. So we're going to make a rule that says, you can't let any milk touch the meat. And then another rabbi would come along, okay? And that rabbi would say, well, we've got to make sure that nobody's milk even touches the meat, so you need to store the milk and the meat separately. Where now, if you go into an a, a, a Hasidic Jew's home, they will have a separate refrigerator for dairy products and for meat products. All because there's a law that says don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. But you get what's going on there, right? They're trying to keep people from accidentally violating the law. So we're going to create a bunch of rules to keep you from violating the law, but then we don't. So you don't even butt up against those rules. We're going to create another rule to keep you getting to that rule so you don't really break the law. The intention is good. The solution is bad. But you know what? Okay? Do not think that we do not do the same things. You maybe are sitting there this morning going, oh, we would never do that. Oh, oh really? Oh, really? I grew up in a church where you were not to drink alcohol under any circumstances whatsoever. The rule was created somewhere along the line, okay, Because we wanted to keep some people from harm, or to keep ourselves from harm, or whatever it is. Because I don't think anybody's going to argue that drunkenness and alcoholism are good things. I don't think so. They're bad things, and we know that. They're not healthy. They're not good. So to try and keep people from those things, and, and you know, people who know people with addiction, that sort of thing, blanket rules get created that are not in the Bible, and then try to force them on others. To where it becomes not only no one's supposed to drink alcohol, now no one's supposed to go in any place that has alcohol. To where I was at a church once where someone was denied membership because they were the store director of a high V and a high V sells alcohol. And that's absurd. But that's what we do. So don't, don't think the Pharisees are the only ones. We do it too. Intent is good. The execution is not only unbiblical, but sometimes harmful. Because it creates arbitrary and artificial barriers to what it means to follow Jesus. Besides, we all know why Baptists are against drinking alcohol. Might need to dance it. Is that enough material, Joe? Yes. Yeah. You've heard that you that. Yeah, time. yeah, that's another repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Struggle is real. <laughs> you know, there's an entire on Reddit, there's an entire subreddit of dad jokes. We're gonna this. But that's the thing, we love rules. Right? Now why do we love rules so much? Well, I am just gonna speculate. Okay, this is this is not the Bible now, this is Orville we'll just speculating on why we like rules. Okay. Rules tell us who's in and who's out. If you've got a well-defined set of rules, you can decide that person's in and that for that person's out. And you know what? We love to know who's in and who's out. Who's in the club? Well, can you follow the rules. Rules allow us to judge ourselves against other people. Well I keep this rule, this rule, and this rule. We don't drink, we don't smoke. We don't do this, we don't do that, right? We don't drink, we don't cheat, we don't eat. Do do so I'm really holy. But so-and-so over there, who got addicted to cigarettes when they were twelve and struggled to quit for the last 25 years. Right? We can judge ourselves against other people. We can judge other people against us and how great I am. God is so lucky to have me. Get out. Get out. Third thing. Seminary, this is gonna really shock some of you. But when I was in seminary, you could not have a beard. Which is really strange because you think about it, almost every pastor I know has a beard. I do not have a beard because whenever I try to grow one, there's this pack and nothing grows. And, I don't know why. and so I'd end up with just like, like this, and i have no beard. So I, I just have, I just don't do it. I give up like three weeks in every time. Nothing grows right here, okay? So I'm just saying. And I'm looking at you guys, and almost all the guys in this room have a beer. And I, I try to tell you how much I appreciate those Little? You're like <laughs> <laughs> <nice good> <laughs> yes, thank you. I love you, <laughs> Pastor's really great guys, okay, who, who are super, super, super talented, right? And they all like rivals easy top in their ears. <laughs> I think there's a connection. I don't know. Okay. The scary thing about rules though, okay, is that rules allow for a religion without a relationship. If you do these things, you must be okay. Just do these things, you'll be okay. If you don't do these things, you must be okay. You never have to develop a real relationship with Jesus because it's just a list of rules. And other people look and go, "Well, that person, man, they—I mean, they—man—they keep all the rules and they look really—they they must be really close to Jesus." And you end up finding out that they're not. And unfortunately, as much as we like to make rules, Paul tells us here that they actually only have an appearance of wisdom but they often do the opposite of what they're intended for, because legalisms tend to be counterproductive in following Jesus. Look at the last verse. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Asceticism is really denying yourself. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I... Pointing out that when someone, if I do something for somebody and they say, No, you didn't have to do that, I lo- a lot of times I respond, I know, because if I had to, I probably wouldn't have done it. Right? Because our flesh rebels against being told you must do something. At least mine does. I mean, maybe yours doesn't. Mine does. I, I am a rebellious, struggling sinner sometimes. Give you an example for my own life. I absolutely (coughs) despise wearing a seatbelt in car. I hate seatbelts. I know, yes, it's statistically safer and all that. But I do not like my God-given freedoms infringed upon by the state telling me that I have to do something that may or may not be for my own good or else they will use their enforcement mechanism through the Cedar Falls police or the Iowa State police to force me to comply. So, what? I wear my seatbelt. Almost all the time. How many occasions do I wear I just get frustrated. But, I mean, 99% of the time I wear my seatbelt. 98%. Okay? For a couple reasons, right? One is, I just don't, I don't want to have to pay a ticket because if I have to pay a ticket, it takes away money from new guitars. So, I don't want to pay that ticket. But, two, the more important reason is, Romans 3 tells me that I really should obey the civil authorities in matters that God has not told me to do something opposite, right? And nowhere in the scriptures has God told me I don't have to receive them. I wish you would. I can't find it in there. And you know that that whole thing at the end of Revelation about adding to the scriptures so so besides, the plagues of the book being added to me. So I figured I shouldn't add it in the Orville's Revised Version, you know, the ORV. Um, and I put my, my own verse about seatbelts and roundabouts. Cursed is the one who creates a roundabout. Uh, okay. So I wear the seatbelt so my own conscience doesn't convict me. But the thing is, whenever we're told to do something, so many times there's a part of us that rebels against that. This is going to be the week I'm probably going to completely give it up. I did really good this last week. I had one donut. Okay. Here was it, the whole weekend. I had one cookie this morning. Yeah, but I usually have something every day, okay? So, so this is progress. My okay. no, mom's laughing. That's progress. But if I say, you I know, mean, this is going to be the week. I'm cold turkey, no more sugar. All I can think about is donuts, MMs, and chocolate cookies. <laughs> I'll just be sitting at home thinking, do I have any out and drive somewhere so I can stop at the and buy a bag of I mean, you, you're laughing, but this is really goes on in my mind, okay? <laughs> I'm thinking, can I get there? Do I need to run from to my office to church? Because there's a quick there? <laughs> And those things were your bad, so I should avoid them. But you know what? For you, they might not be bad. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet that for many of you, you can have a chocolate chip cookie or a donut once in a while. Or something that metabolism, I'm going to be messed up by it. Your poor little pancreas isn't going to go, i to get that insulin out. I can't do enough. Right? Or maybe for you, you have things like self-control. You can do things in moderation that I can. not But you know what? What the human tendency to do then is to say, you know what? I'm going to make this really wise-sounding rule. No one should ever eat sugar. And if you eat sugar, I'm going to spiritually judge you according to that because you ate processed sugar. That's ridiculous, right? Might, maybe that be perfectly fine for you to have a cookie. That's great. Cookie's God. You might be able to just, you might be able, somebody asked me if I wanted Girl Scout cookies. I had to say no. Because you know what? If I get a, bo- a box of Thin Mints, it has two tubes of those Thin Mints in there, right? Some people eat a Thin Mint. I eat a tube, and I'm not joking. I get the first one, and it's, it'll happen before I even know it. the whole tube is gone, because they're that good, okay? Some people get addicted to, to meth to crack. I get addicted to Thin Mints. So I just, I can't do it. But for me to make a rule that you shouldn't buy girls' Scout cookies because I get addicted to Thin Mints is ridiculous. Maybe you can eat a buy a box of Girl Scout cookies, and you end up throwing it away because halfway through the second tube, five months later, they finally dried out to the point where you're just like, "No, I'm not going to try to eat this." Okay. There's some fuzz growing on it. Okay. Right? It sounds like wisdom. You should not eat sugar. You must not do it. But it ends up not helping either one of us. The problem is, the rules look like wisdom. They're easy to judge by. Especially because they allow us to evaluate by external appearances. And that's how we tend to evaluate, right? I love, one of my favorite sayings is that we judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their actions, never knowing what their real intention was. That's what legalisms do. They allow us to judge without knowing what God knows, which is the heart. And that's what matters anyway. They allow us to feel better about ourselves as if we're somehow better than someone else because we followed some rule and some other person doesn't follow that rule. Look what Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 7. This is a long passage, so you got to bear with me. You get the whole story here. But Jesus himself talks about this exact issue in Mark 7. He says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Jesus, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of your might and your awesome deeds, and I will declare your... That is not part of this passage, right? Oh,
1: yeah, it is. Oh. <laughs> I must be missing a verse
0: on my thing or whatever. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, I'm going to pick it up in verse, uh, whatever, verse 8 there, maybe. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and whatever revived. His father or mother may surely die. But you say, I if a man tells his father or his mother whatever you would have gained for me is Corbin, that is given to God, set aside for God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. Now let me explain that for you a little bit. What they would do is they would have wealth, right? Which they were supposed to use partially to help support their parents. Don't be getting any ideas. <laughs> But in order to keep it for themselves, they would say, No, that is dedicated to God so that when I die, it goes to God. I can't use that to help They would neglect their parents by claiming something is given to God. <clears throat> then he no longer permitted him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. And when he has entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then you are all, you then also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covenant, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. Jesus confronted by the rabbis. And what's his point is, like you guys got a bunch of rules, a bunch of eating rules, they had a of those. But it doesn't do anything to change your heart. Your heart's the problem. It is what is inside us that is the problem. And rules don't help with that. And they might be counterproductive at times, because they're keeping us from being closer to Jesus and living like Him, and as He calls to us to truly live. Because He calls us to live from a transformed and pure heart, which no amount of rules can Now this doesn't mean that you can't have convictions or appearance. You can't. Without spending an entire sermon in Romans 14, notice how someone says the title of Romans. Paul elsewhere tells us that, you know, you can have convictions and you can have convictions that are different than mine. And we both should learn to get along. I should respect your convic- convictions and you should respect my freedom. But I hold those same convictions. But we should not mistake our convictions. For Jesus telling us how to live. If, you're, if someone's conviction is that the King James Bible is the best Bible in the world, that is not anywhere near on par. I don't care what weird defenses you have on the King James That is not near on par with Jesus Himself telling me to love my neighbor. Two are very different things. Even if my neighbor uses What should I do? What are we going to do? Because I surely need some help with living like Jesus, and I need some help because I want to be like him, and I want to mm-hmm. obey and serve him. That is precisely the subject of the first part of chapter 3 next Sunday. What are you going to do? Okay? I get it. Rules aren't going to help. It can be counterproductive. Okay, that I have convictions, but you know, my convictions might be different than other people's. Next week in Chapter Three, we'll see what God wants us to do instead of rules. But until then, I would challenge all of us to think about the things that we believe, in. and maybe things that we use to sort of subtly, maybe subconsciously, even judge others. We don't do that. Why don't they do this like I do? Are those things really Jesus? Are they maybe just convictions? That we grow up with. It took me a long, long time to mentally accept that it was okay for me to stand in the pulpit and preach without wearing a suit and tie. Obviously, I have conquered that leader. <laughs> I sure I a suit and tie. When I was in the seminary, when you were preaching class, you wore a suit and tie. All the churches I ever went to, you wore a suit and tie. When I was at the church I was at in Pennsylvania, you wore a suit and tie on Sunday. When I was at the last church I was at here before I came here, you wore a suit and tie on Sunday. All the time. That's not the Bible. They didn't have any ties in the Bible. just saying. Jesus didn't have a tie. animals like Maybe he had a lot of problems. But he definitely didn't have a tie. <laughs> or a suit. Okay? That's a cultural one. Well, I like suits and ties. Still, sometimes I wear a suit and tie because I think the occasion absolutely demands it. I did a funeral on Tuesday. I definitely wore a suit and tie because at a funeral, I believe the occasion, just because of what it is, that is the proper way for the preacher to dress as a sign of but I don't confuse that with Jesus. All of us have these various notions. So the next time you find yourself thinking something uncomfortable about yourself or about another believer, ask yourself, is this of Jesus, or is this Jesus is beyond, above, and past any sort of rule-keeping or any of those things. He is himself the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm grateful that he has fulfilled and freed us from rules, regulations, and the law to a new sort of rule, the rule of love, the rule of relationship. Lord, help us to examine ourselves in various things that we believe, so that we would, over time, become people who live out of a heart filled with the love of Jesus, and not just in the keeping of the rules. Lord, help us to love others, and to understand our convictions versus others' freedoms, and our freedom versus others' convictions. Always to live according to kindness tolerance, and tolerance in those things. We'll give you the glory for